So today, what we're going to do from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, we're actually going to learn two lessons. And the first lesson is going to be the importance of teaching God's word. And the second lesson is going to be the impact of our words. So we're going to pick right up in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So basically what was happening here, so now we have this church. Remember, the church is growing. Each day, members are added. People are becoming saved. And basically, all the people had everything in common. Remember, people were selling off their goods to help other people. And uh, basically, just to get a little deeper into what this complaint was, there was a couple of groups. The Hellenists were Grecian Jews, and the Hebrews were Hebraic Jews. So there was some tension in those groups of people even before the church, okay? So basically, the Hellenists felt that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. So people were receiving food, and most of, most of the tradition back then was obviously take care of the widows before anybody else. So these uh, Hellenistic Jews were feeling like our widows are being overlooked. Now, interesting here, we have a growing church, and there's a complaint. Does this sound familiar? Okay. This sounds like the American church, right? No matter how well a church is going, a church can be growing. There is always going to be complaints and complainers. Now, the complaints that were being waged could have been simply based upon some in the church not getting what they wanted. They could have been uh, based upon the fact that they felt they weren't getting, getting what was due to them, or they could have been based on things that they thought the apostles should be doing. Now, this happens, obviously, in churches today. Everyone has an opinion, and they think what they think the church should be doing, so they complain. But we're not going to get really into that. What we're going to look at is, assuming there was validity in the complaint, the apostles, rather than looking at the complaint and bowing to it, rather than looking at the complaint and arguing with it, what they did is something far better. What they did was they made sure what was wrong was made right for that time and then also for the future. So obviously we know this to be true. Anytime in life there's a complaint, whether it's at work, at church, or anything, if somebody has a complaint, there might be some validity to it. Sometimes they're just full-on complainers, but a lot of times if somebody has a, valid, a complaint, there's probably some validity to it, so you want to look into it. So the apostles, obviously they were diplomatic, but not only that, they were like, okay, maybe the need isn't met. So let's take care of the need for now, and also take care of it for the future. So here's what they did. It says, and the 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the complaint came to the apostles, and here's what the 12 did. They said, yeah, okay, if this is happening, this is a good point. But we are not the ones to do this. We are not the ones to do this. We need to recruit others to get on mission to take care of this task so that we can do what we're called to do. Now, I want to preface this. Don't look at this as though the apostles thought it was demeaning to serve tables. This is a matter of calling. 
The 12 were called to teach God's word. And if they did not do it, who would? Okay, that's the question. If they did not do it, who would? Now, many believe that these were the first deacons in the church. Deacon simply means servant, but I want to point out a few things because they weren't just recruiting warm bodies. They weren't just like, okay, here's somebody that can do this. You know, grab the soup spoon and the ladle and just start putting out. No, that's not what this was. They were, because basically there was a criteria for these guys right away. First, the servants that were selected from the group must have good reputations. They must have good reputations. Second, they must be spiritually minded. They were obviously believers, but spiritually minded, caring about the spiritual needs of people. And third, they must have practical wisdom. Now, finally, the apostles said, okay, when you find these guys, bring them to us and we'll appoint them. We'll, we'll pray for them. We'll appoint them to do this ministry to take care of these widows. Now, this would essentially free the apostles up for prayer and for ministry of the word, which really brings us to the first lesson that we want to learn today from this passage, and that is this, the importance of teaching God's word. Now, this is very important. You that all come to this church on a regular basis, you know this is important to us. This is important to God. This is very important because notice, they did not place helping people's physical needs over helping people's spiritual needs. Now, as believers, we know this to be true. We need to be concerned about the physical and the spiritual needs of people. Now, you will go to work, you'll go to school, and you'll have people around you that have physical needs, right? They're hurting. Something's wrong in their life. Maybe they need help. Maybe it's financial help. Maybe it's just assistance or something like that. So you are there as the Christian to come alongside them, right, and help them out with their physical needs. But you must never forget their spiritual needs. Because guess what? Their spiritual needs are so much deeper. So we as believers use the physical needs as an open door to walk through so that we can meet the spiritual needs. The book of James says that our life is like a mist, right? A mist, this in comparison to eternity. Do you know what need needs to be met for eternity? Somebody's salvation, right? Their spiritual need. So here's what happens. Many times believers start ministries to help the physical needs in order to open doors for spiritual needs. But then sometimes this happens. The ministries start off well. They meet both, physical and spiritual. But then the spiritual kind of starts to take the second seat, right? Because for, for whatever reason, maybe they get more accolades meeting the physical needs. Maybe the physical needs become so great that the spiritual needs, we don't seem to have time for that. For whatever reason it is, the spiritual needs get forgotten. And this has happened to many organizations that you and I all know that are worldwide now that started more spiritual, but now ended up more physical needs. Now, sadly, this can happen in many churches. We get caught up in physical needs of people and we feel like we're doing good. Like, oh, good job. You know, you, you did the physical need, but we forget about the spiritual needs. Now, let me ask you this question. Can non-believers meet physical needs? Of course they can. But I want to follow it up, and you know where I'm going here. Can non-believers meet spiritual needs? No. 
not without the truth, right? If they don't believe the truth, they really can't meet the spiritual needs. So you and I, as believers in Christ, we have this amazing opportunity to meet the spiritual needs. So then the question is this, how do we stay on track? Well, how do we stay on track? Well, here's what we have to do. We have to keep the word of God, the Bible, central to our teaching and how we live because this will meet the spiritual needs of the people that we cross paths with. So the apostles' response is this. Raise up more people to do this work so we can continue to focus on teaching the word. Teaching the word in prayer, they say. So then later on in Ephesians, Paul says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up the body of Christ. Shepherd and pastor, some, some uh, translations will say pastors there in, in, in place of shepherd. But the role of the pastor shepherd is to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. Now this is not a commentary on some work is better than other work. It's teaching us that each of us, as the body of Christ, has a different calling. And basically, what happens is, is we learn our calling from God's word. We learn it from studying and learning God's word. Now, as a pastor, my calling happens to be study God's word, teach it, along with that pray for you that you find out what your calling is within the body of Christ. That doesn't mean I'm limited to that, but that means that that needs to be a primary focus of what I do as a pastor. Now, some people think that the only people in ministry are pastors and missionaries, right? Oh, they're the people. They're, they're in ministry. But the truth is, every Christian is in ministry. Every Christian is a servant. So here's what happens. Two problems kind of arise. One comes from the pastor, one comes from the church. The first comes from the pastor that has the mindset that he thinks he should do everything in the church. And you'll see churches like this. Usually they're very small churches. The pastor thinks like, I need to control everything. I need to do everything in the church. But the second mindset is kind of the same in a sense. And it's the mindset of a church that looks at the pastor and says, he needs to do everything. So the result of this mindset, if, if the pastor thinks he needs to do everything, or the church needs to, thinks that the pastor needs to do everything, here's the result. Everything doesn't get done. Because it's impossible, okay? Even in a church of 50 people, it's impossible for the pastor to do everything. So here's kind of how it goes. People start to complain. Inevitably, people complain. The pastor will inevitably complain. People will inevitably leave the church. The pastor will get burned out. He'll leave the church. Now, does this sound like a good model? Sound like a good model for ministry? No, it's a terrible model, okay? Praise the Lord that it's not the model we have here at our church. And that's why we experience longevity in ministry, growth in ministry. That's why we experience these things, because our model is the biblical model. The model we hold here is that each person is part of the body of Christ. You all matter to the body of Christ. We're all called to do different ministries because we're all gifted in various ways. It's no accident that you are here. It's no accident that you are part of this church. You are all a testimony of this because most of the ministries here are either run by volunteers 
and staffed by volunteers. This is so important. So then the question is, well, should all believers pray and minister the word? And I would say, yes, they should. All believers should be praying. All believers teach. Do you realize this? You teach with your actions and words every day. You might not be called to be up here. Some of you might be terrified to do what I'm doing, right? But others of you might be like, oh, I might be gifted that way. But the truth is, all believers are called to pray. All of us as believers are called to teach because we teach the people around us with our words and our actions every single day. Should pastors be servants? Yes. Should that service get in the way of studying and praying for teaching the word of God each week? I would say no. And here's the reason. Because then we all suffer. Then we all suffer. Imagine this. Imagine this with me. What if I came here this morning and said, well, you know, guys, it was a pretty tough week. You know, I went to a funeral. I fixed a thermostat here at the church. Um, I did all these other things. And, and I, you know, I just didn't have time to study. I just didn't. Have, so here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to grab one of those little Our Daily Breads. And I'm going to read you a little story about little Timmy who had a wagon. And somebody dragged him down the hill. And he fell off. And now we're going to go to the scripture that, like, you know, it says we should have compassion on people and help them. How would you feel if I did that? Maybe the first week you'd be like, okay, you know, Pastor Mike, I had a tough week. Okay, let's like, it was short at least, right? <laughs> but what if I did that three times a month? How would you feel? You'd probably feel pretty upset because I wasn't doing what I'm called to do, which is come here and teach you the word. Even though I may have been working I wasn't focusing in on my primary calling, which was coming here to present God's word to you. And I can guarantee you, any church that the pastor decides to do that, the church stagnates and the people don't grow. There's churches like that all over the country, all over the world. They stagnate and don't grow because the word of God is not taught. You know, before I accepted the position of senior pastor, I asked senior pastors that I knew. I said, hey, listen, I'm a younger guy. I've been called to, to be the senior pastor of the church. What should be my main focus? If you were to give me any advice, what would you say? They all said, kind of in their own way, make sure that the word is taught on Sunday. Make sure that the word is taught. Don't drop the ball on that. That has to be the primary. That's how Your week has to be built around that. And oddly enough, not surprising, is church surveys report that 75% of people will choose their church based upon the sermon that they get on Sunday mornings. So people will walk in, they'll be like, okay, like, mm, or, uh, you know, and here's the thing. If somebody walks out of here and says, I don't like that church because they preach God's word, we don't want you, okay? Here's the thing. If, if that's your mindset, I don't want to go there because I hear God's word there, that's a problem with you, not a problem with us, right? So my commitment to the Lord and to you is to teach the word, to pray for your heart, that it's open so that the word can apply to your heart. You can grow, and guess what? When you grow, here's what happens. You get involved. You start ministering. You start serving. You start doing the ministries that you're called to do. You start becoming an active member in the body of Christ because guess what? It's not nothing that I did. It's everything that God does through his word in your heart. Thankfully, I have to say, this church understands that. 
This church understands your role in the body of Christ, my role in the body of Christ, and I believe that's a testimony to decades and decades of us keeping our focus on the word of God, which teaches us the message of life. Do you remember when that angel last week said to Peter and the apostles, divine prison break, right? What did it say? Go, teach the words of life. The early church, the apostles, understood what they were called to do. And guess what? The people, they understood too. So here's how they responded. They went and picked seven guys. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, these they set before the apostles and prayed and laid their hands on them. See, here's what's going to happen. We're going to see what's going to happen to Stephen, not next week, but the week after. Pastor Steve will be preaching next week. The week after, we're going to see what happened to Stephen, and a little bit, and a little bit today, we'll see what happens to him. Philip, we're going to see him again in Acts chapter 8. And in Acts 21, Philip is called an evangelist. The only thing we know about Prochorus is that he was martyred in Antioch. Nicholas was a convert from Antioch. We don't know anything about the three other guys. We don't know anything about them. But what we do know is this. They were risen up and commissioned by the apostles to serve. And guess what? Guess what happens? And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The results. Here's the result. It showed the apostles made the right decision. They could have easily said, okay, there's a bunch of people complaining. These widows over here aren't being served properly. Okay, let's go, boys. Come on, 12 of us, let's go. Okay, let's serve the tables. And they could have said to the widows, like, oh, we're doing this in the name of Jesus. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose from the grave. You believe in Jesus. They could have preached the gospel to them which I believe the gospel actually was preached to them as well. But guess what? What would have happened is they would have turned their back on the ministry. They would have turned their back on what they were called to do. And notice here, notice here what happens. That power brokers, priests, people of high regard were actually saved, actually responded to the fact that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, the fact that Jesus rose from the grave to prove that he is God, the fact that Jesus said, all who believe in me will have eternal life. Here's what happened. It spread further because now there's more workers. And it's interesting because, you know, when it says, like, great many of the priests became obedient, like priests in the temple, why does it mention them? Well, I think part of the reason why it mentions them is we know when people in authority, when people that have some sort of, like, um, high regard in society, people listen, right? We're, we listen, right? When, when in our culture, when somebody wins the Super Bowl or, like, or the World Series or whatever, we're always looking for that Christian athlete, Right? And then when they, when they interview them, they're like, okay, you know, you won the game. Like, you know, what do you want to say to everybody? And all the Christians are like, please say it's Jesus. Please say it was Jesus, right? Because we want that to go out there. We want that because we know that people will listen. We know that somebody's sitting there that's watching games and doing this and idolizing this person. When they hear this person that they idolize say, I trust Jesus, they're like, huh, interesting. 
They might not trust Jesus at that point, but here we go. Interesting. But it takes all kinds of people, and here's what happened here. This, this kind of started a lot of stuff. So now the disciples, the number of disciples, it says, increased in number. But the second lesson we're going to learn today, so we, we learned that the importance of teaching God's word. This is unbelievably important for us as believers to, to make sure God's word is taught. But the second lesson we're going to learn today is the impact of our words. Here's how we're going to do it. It says in Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those of Sicilia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So now we see a little bit of what's going to start to happen to Stephen. Now Stephen, remember, he was one of the guys recruited to serve tables. A guy of good reputation, spiritually minded, uh, practical wisdom. Like I said, he wasn't just a warm body. This guy was called, right? He was called to do ministry. It says he was full of grace and power. He was chosen to do this task but many other tests were performed through him, these signs and wonders. So we assume, we can only assume, that they were miracles. They came under fire from the, the synagogue of the freedmen, which were descendants of ex-Jewish slave freedmen, and four other Jewish groups. They were arguing with the teaching of Stephen. So when Stephen was going and doing his job, he was teaching. They were arguing with the teaching of Stephen. Stephen, wise in the Holy Spirit, it was evident. It says they could not withstand him. Like, they're, they're just like, man, this guy's got game. Like, I can't argue with this guy. Like, he knows what he's talking about. He's, he's bringing us this word, and, and like, he's not faltering. Because they could not debate him, here's what they decided to do. They decided to try to bring him down. And guess the way they did it? They decided to do that with gossiping about him to the right people. Gossiping about him to the right people. Let's look. It says, then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people of the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, talking about the temple, and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So here's what they did. They took what Stephen preached, which was actually what Jesus taught. Jesus if you remember, and John records this in his gospel, said, I'm going to destroy this temple and raise it up in three days. John records this and says Jesus wasn't talking about the actual physical temple. He was talking about himself. He was talking about himself being crucified, himself rising up. Jesus also said he came to fulfill the law, right? Not to bring down the law, to fulfill the law. So this is really twofold here. These guys either misunderstood the teaching of Jesus or they understood the teachings of Jesus, but they misinformed the authorities and said that Stephen 
was teaching people that, oh, Jesus said he's going to destroy the temple, he's going to destroy the law, he's going to destroy all your traditions. That's basically what was happening here. So they were gossiping about Stephen to make him look bad. So the bottom line is these people were gossiping in order to deliver Stephen up to the council. Now, this is where we really learn the impact of our words, right? The impact our words can have on other people. We know that these guys had a bad intention, right? It says they secretly instigated. Then they brought about false witnesses. They were up to no good. They were gossiping. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to briefly talk about the sin of gossip because it can be a cancer to a church and to really any other relationship that you might have, okay? The sin of gossip can be a cancer to the church, but to any other relationship you might have. And it comes in a few different ways, so let's look at that. The first is this, misinformation. This is when you lead others to believe something that's simply not true. That's simply not true. It may be your perspective, it may be how you feel or what you think, but it's simply not true and you're misinforming other people. You're misinforming other people in hopes that those other people will see maybe the person that you're gossiping about in a different light. You're misinforming. I'm not sure these guys were necessarily misinforming like that. I think they were doing this, half information. I think these guys were, were, were giving half information. Jesus did teach these things, but they really didn't fully grasp the spiritual truths, or they did, but they did not believe it, so they left out what Jesus was talking about, that Jesus was talking about himself, and not the physical temple and the actual law, but Jesus was actually talking about himself and how he came to fulfill the law, and his body was the temple, and he would be raised up again. You know, sometimes we gossip and we only give half the information, right? We give the half that makes the person look bad, and maybe us look good, or just the person look bad, so whatever we want to happen to them, happens to them. It's deceitful. We cause issues. We cause problems. We know if they never talk to the other person, they may never know the full truth. Do you know that Proverbs 18, 17 says that, right? The one who states his case first seems right, right? The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. I mean, how many programs have you watched on, you know, news channels and stuff? Dateline, 2020, all these different things. You see the side that they want you to see, the political channels. You see the side they want you to see. And then when the other comes, you're like, oh. That's why our country's so confused, right? Because they're like, oh, oh. Oh, where, where am I? Uh, you know, that, that's, that's the problem, right? That's the problem. Because they're giving half the information. But gossip also comes as this, sharing things that are not necessary to share. This is when we tell people things that they have no business knowing. They just have no business knowing, okay? You know when this happens? The biggest time this happens is when you have a big mouth, okay? That's it. You just can't stop talking. So guess what? You wind up spilling out stuff that you shouldn't have spilled out, but maybe your intention wasn't even terrible. You just can't stop talking. You have a big mouth. So you have a hard time controlling yourself, 
So you share things that are not necessary for somebody else. You know what? Sometimes you might share things that are not necessary for someone else to know, but not only are they not necessary, they're actually damaging for that person. You might have intended to damage the other person you were talking about, but you actually damaged that person because now they're discouraged. Now they feel a different way than they should feel about a person. The power, think about it, the power of your words. And then finally, being critical of fellow believers. This is like an in-house thing for us as believers. Do you realize this? Every person needs to pray to make decisions based upon God and his word, based upon their family, based upon their stage of life, based upon their situation. Do you realize that? Every person needs to do that. Every person needs to do that. And sometimes we become critical, right? We become critical. Well, why didn't they do what I suggested? Or how come they didn't follow my guidance? How come they didn't follow my counsel? Well, maybe the answer might be this. They really prayed and they really feel that God is leading them that way, and you didn't, you just have a very strong opinion about things. Being critical of fellow believers, it's a cancer to the church. Being critical of fellow believers, every person has to make their decision based upon their relationship with God and their understanding of what the scriptures say in that situation. So we may go to the extent of criticizing them to other people in order to maybe make them look bad. Our words can impact how other people are perceived and how other people will treat them. But what I really like about this passage is the way that it ends. Remember, we have Stephen here. Before it said he was full of grace and power and was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So now we have this group of people secretly instigating, setting up false witnesses, essentially gossiped about Stephen, using their words to impact what the council thinks about Stephen, right? And here's what happens. So just imagine this scene. They come, and they're like, okay, we brought this Stephen guy, and they say all these nasty things about him, and they say all these misinformation, half-truth, and this and that. So the council looks over at Stephen. It's kind of an odd verse. It's right here at the end of the chapter. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Right? <laughs> this guy, this guy, this guy. They look over. <laughs> right? <laughs> what? Why is this here? Right? I believe that why this is here is Stephen here is like a picture of innocence. Okay, he's a picture of innocence. Now, think about it. Think about what you say about other people. Think about the look on their face when they hear that you said this. Now, think about the look on Jesus' face because he always hears what you say about other people. Think about that. What are the impacts of your words? What are the, what's the impact of your words? Listen to what James says. We're going to close with this passage. With our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. With it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. You know, as believers, we come here and praise God. 
We love to do that. We learn God's word. We praise him. Shame on us if we use that same mouth to be critical of other people, to spread misinformation, half information, to, to look at people and say things about them that might skew the way other people look at them. Your words are so important and can have such a huge impact on other people. James says, listen, you know, you're praising God. If you're cursing other people, it should never be. Okay? It should never be. 